1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read the first nine verses. Last week we looked at the first three. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9, but we'll read all nine together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus in our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, called to be saints, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always. For you, because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. For God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Now uh, guard our time this morning. Help us to be free uh, from distraction of mind and heart. Allow us to focus on your word. Would your spirit uh, clear and uh, soften our minds and hearts to receive it with joy and gladness and to live it out in obedience. Would you stir in our hearts an affection for your son Jesus, uh, a contrition for our sin, and a willingness to submit our will to that of yours, O oh God. We pray for those who are not here. We pray for our families and our loved ones. We pray for our friends and our neighbors who are sick, those who are battling flu or something more serious. God, would you give them uh, rest, allow them to recover, and uh, to be restored to health again so they can gather once more with your body. Father, we ask that you now uh, protect those who are in danger of straying, whether of sin or neglect or simply because of absence to the body. Would you draw them to yourself, encourage them by your spirit and word, and allow them to see the beauty of your son Jesus in the gospel as they return again to your fold. Above all, Lord, this morning, would you glorify yourself in my words, in the sermon, in our hearts and minds, in our worship. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we'll be talking about not only God's faithfulness, but Christian thanksgiving. And I'm not speaking particularly of the holiday thanksgiving, but in the disposition of the heart to give thanks. When you read the New Testament, and particularly when you see here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's intention is to get his readers and the authors of the New Testament to get their readers to have a disposition of the heart that is gratitude, that is thankful, that is in humble and sincere thankfulness for what God has done. If you have a thankless faith, a thankless Christianity... You do not have inaccurate Christianity, as we'll see. But thankfulness is an interesting thing as a father of two, now three small children, but two of any real consequence at this moment. Trying to get them to say their thanks and their pleases are very difficult. 
Uh, we've tried early on to make a habit out of praying together before each meal when we have our family meals. And because of that, now Shepard and Tinley, my, my oldest and my youngest, uh, think that every prayer needs to begin with, Dear God, thank you for this food. It doesn't matter if it's a bedtime prayer, if it's a prayer just hanging out with family. It's always, Dear God, thank you for the food, and then the other thanks roll along. Well, we want them to be mindful of what God has given to them and provided for them. And uh, for a, a, a almost six-year-old and almost four-year-old, I think that's a fairly good way to start. Thank you for the food we're about to eat. Thank you for the trees. Thank you for the sky. Thank you for mommy and daddy. But thankfulness in the Christian life runs deeper than that, doesn't it? Certainly we can be thankful for the things we have and the experiences we're able to enter into. But thankfulness in the Christian perspective runs much deeper than that. Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians by reminding them that they are a community formed by grace. And this grace of the gospel, of the person and work of Jesus Christ, is the foundation of Christian thankfulness. So when we're thinking about how should we be thankful as Christians, what does it mean to have a spirit or a, a, a category of life in which we are truly thankful, God's grace must be that which is appended to it. So last week we saw that the church is a community created by God's grace and rooted in God's grace in Christ. God saved you. He called you to himself. He named you, numbered you as one of his people, gathered you together with a community, and that community exists by grace. The gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection is God's grace to you informs you and makes you a community. Foundation Church is a community of grace. We aim to understand that and be more like that as we study 1 Corinthians. And this grace, we saw, actually sets us apart. Paul says in verse 2 that those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, that means set apart in Christ Jesus, the grace given to us in Christ sets us apart or sanctifies us He says, for the purpose of calling on the name of the Lord. And that we understood to be worship. That's what worship is in its essence. Calling upon the Lord Jesus in thankfulness and humility and in worship. So when Paul says that the church is a community called to be saints in verse 2, he means that the effectual purpose and the design of our salvation And our new identity as Christians is to worship God in humility and thankfulness. Let me say that again. When God saves us, he means that the purpose of our salvation and the design of our salvation and the purpose of our new identity as Christians is to worship God in humility and thankfulness. And that's why he moves from this work of God's grace to verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So then we can ask ourselves, what is at the heart of thankfulness according to Paul? What is at the heart of Christian thankfulness? Well, if you jump down to verse 9, I think it sums up Paul's thought perfectly. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what does Paul mean when he is giving thanks? 
What is the essence or the heart of Christian thankfulness? It's that God's faithfulness leads us to gratefully call upon him. Notice he just says God formed you and made you a community by his grace and gathered you together for the purpose of calling upon the name of the Lord. He gives thanks then for that grace which calls us, forms us, gathers us, and purposes us. And he says because God is faithful, God will keep his promises. God has been faithful to you in saving you. He will be faithful in keeping you. So God's faithfulness, Paul says, leads us to gratefully call upon him in worship. It's God's faithfulness that secures for us the blood of Christ. It is God's faithfulness that produces a heart of thanksgiving and thankfulness and ultimately steadfastness, that is, stability and perseverance and faith. God's faithfulness does this. Here's the main idea. God's faithfulness to save us, keep us, and equip us in Christ is the foundation of our gathering and the essence of our worship. God's faithfulness to save us, keep us, and equip us in Christ is the foundation of our gathering and the essence of our worship. This is Paul's point in the very beginning of his letter to the Corinthians. He'll he'll speak to all sorts of matter of sin and idolatry and immorality and, and, and false representations of the gospel. But he's beginning his letter now to a church he loves to remind them that God saves them and calls them into a community by grace. He calls them saints to worship in humble thankfulness. God's faithfulness is the foundation of our gathering, the essence of our worship. And notice the logic then that Paul intends for the Corinthians to see. He says that Christian thankfulness is predicated upon God's grace and faithfulness. Christian thankfulness, that which Paul is commending the Corinthians and us today, is predicated upon God's faithfulness, God's grace and faithfulness. That means our thankfulness is built on God's faithfulness to us in Christ. But friends, this isn't a theoretical thankfulness. This isn't just the word thankfulness. Rather, this must be an experiential thankfulness, an experiential one. Because Paul is not here expressing gratitude for realities that are intangible, for realities that have no bearing on the lives of the Corinthian church or on foundation. No, rather, he says that he is thankful, Paul is thankful for the very real grace that is manifested in very real ways for each of the Christians in the church. So our thankfulness must never be an abstract thankfulness. Our thankfulness must never be an abstract thankfulness, up in the sky, intangible, but rather a true disposition of gratitude from the heart, a humility rooted in the very real and personal experience of God's grace in Christ. That's what sets apart true, faithful, and enduring Christians from those who will fall away. It is a sincere and enduring gratitude for God's grace in Christ. When you wonder why your friends have grown up with you in church or have come to faith at some point in their life and have seemed to grow and mature as Christians but then ultimately turn away, walk away from the faith, reject Christ, or be consumed with worldliness, you wonder why that happens. It's because they could not endure. 
The parable of the sower reminds us that sometimes the root of the gospel that is sown into people's lives does not go deep enough to sustain them from certain trials or pressures or enticements of the world. We see here that ultimately Paul says endurance is going to be rooted by thankfulness. Not an abstract thankfulness. Not a thankfulness that is expressed in song only. But a thankfulness that is genuinely rooted in the very real and personal experience of God's grace in Christ. So not abstract, concrete, not impersonal, but personal. This means you have to have a real personal understanding of the gospel and a real genuine personal experience of the grace of God in Christ if you are to be truly thankful in a way that endures you, that perseveres to the end. Paul makes that point very clear. He gives thanks for their grace of God in their lives so they would be enriched, verse 7, not lacking any gift as you wait, that's a persevering word, wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end. This is what Paul means. Your thankfulness, rooted in God's faithfulness, leads to perseverance and steadfastness. But what are the reasons then for our thankfulness? If we say God's grace should lead us and is the basis and the foundation of our thankfulness, what are the reasons that we should be thankful to God that will allow us to persevere? Trials. That will allow us to hear words from friends that might be stinging but ultimately helpful. What are the reasons to be thankful for God's grace that ultimately would condemn us as sinners but frees us and calls us to saints? I have three reasons in the text here that Paul makes clear. First, we are to be thankful for God's purposes. We are thankful for God's purposes. We express a thankfulness, a true disposition of gratitude and humility for God's purposes. In verse 5, he says that God's grace in every way enriches them. I give thanks to my God always, verse 4, for you because of the grace of God that was given in Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. This is the purpose of for which God's grace was given, a purpose for which Jesus was sent into the world, and a purpose for which his grace was applied to your life to save you, to call you a saint, to bring you into the fellowship of the Son, into the community of grace, to give worship to God. So we can be thankful for God's purposes in calling us and setting us apart. God's grace purposes us, that is, gives us a purpose, and at times ultimately repurposes us, for the building up and the enrichment of his people. Do you know that God's grace does not just exist so that we feel happy and good about ourselves? God's grace doesn't exist so that we can have churches. God's grace doesn't exist so that we can sing worship songs. God's grace exists so that he can purpose a people for worship that would build itself up in love, that would encourage and serve one another, that the body would be enriched, 
that is made rich, right? When we think enrichment, we typically think of a soil or some plutonium or something that is saturated with nutrients. But here, the idea is is wealthy, is rich in terms of wealth. It's where we get the idea of being rich in Christ. Paul will say elsewhere in Ephesians that we have been lavished with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are rich in Christ. So God's purposes can cause us to be thankful because he builds up the body and gives us good gifts. He makes us rich in Christ. So the first reason we can be thankful is because God's grace purposes us and repurposes us for worship. It's a turning of our hearts away from sin and wickedness and to worship to God. The Bible teaches that all of us at one point, when we are born until we are Christians, are in hostility and enmity between God. We are not God's friends. We are not even indifferent. We are enemies of God, opposed to his law and his word. But Christ overcomes our opposition. He overcomes our hostility. And in his flesh, he breaks down that dividing wall of hostility. And he unites us together as a church with God. That is the purpose for which Christ died. That is the purpose for which God's grace was given to you and to me. That's a purpose for which he calls a community of grace together. And that's why we can be thankful. It's the first reason we're thankful. It's because of God's purposes. The second reason, we can have thankfulness for God's provisions. This seems most obvious to us. We give thanks for the things God has given us. When we acknowledge this, things like our food, things like a raise, things like the provision of a job or safety or health when we have them. But here, Paul is talking about a particular kind of provision that is the work and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Thankfulness for God's provisions is here in the text. Look in verse 6 and 7. That God enriched him with grace, verse 5 rather, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord. There's a surplus, not a lack, not a deficit, a surplus of gifts. And he's speaking particularly for this church, the Corinthian church, which really began to pride itself on particular gifts, really the gifts of speech and of knowledge. They had a particular knowledge of Christ, gifts of the Holy Spirit that were manifested in speech, things like tongues and prophecy. And they had a certain loquacious gift, to use a fancy term, which really means they spoke really well. And they prided themselves on speech. Well, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. And they should be thankful for it rather than prideful in it. God's gifts and God's provision should not lead us to boast, but rather to be thankful. The Holy Spirit bestowed them with supernatural gifting of speech and of knowledge. And these gifts, we see, confirm the testimony about Christ. That's what he says in verse 6. The testimony of Christ was confirmed. So the purposes of the gifts of the Holy Spirit were to point to Jesus. To let the people know who were experiencing the working and the outpouring of the Spirit in this church as the gospel was preached. Was to say that Jesus was real. He was here. He's alive. And he's active. And his ministry and his grace is extended to all those who would hear it. And these signs, the tongues, the prophecies, all the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in this church is to point to Jesus. To confirm the testimony about Christ. 
He says that there's no lack of this gifting in the Corinthian church. Except what seemed to be lacking was not the gift, but the love. The proper use of the exercise of that gift in love. Paul will address this later on in 1 Corinthians. When we think about thankfulness for God's provision, we need to think about not the things he provides for us in and of themselves, but the nature of God as a gift giver, the nature of God as a provider, as a father, as Christ, as an elder brother who protects us. This is why gifts exist, not so that we can have the things we really want, but so that we can give praise to God who gives all things to his people. The character of God is revealed in the gift of God. The Holy Spirit himself is a gift. We should delight in the provision of these things so we can be thankful that God not only purposes us by his grace and calls us to worship and turns our hearts from wickedness to righteousness in Christ, but we can be thankful for the provision of God in the Holy Spirit, the provision of God's gifts to this church. Now today we may not be speaking in tongues and having prophecies, but certainly there are many gifts in the church today given to us and bestowed by the Holy Spirit to be used for the building of the body of Christ. We can be thankful for these gifts when we exercise and use them with love. The third reason we can be thankful, we see in verses 7 and 8, we can be thankful for God's promises. We're thankful for God's purposes, thankful for his provisions. And third, thankful for his promises. Again, in verse 7, he says, You're not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that God will sustain you. This word for sustaining is the same word translated in your English Bible, confirmed, in verse 6. So there's a confirming of the testimony about Christ and the use of our gifts, and there's a confirming of us in the patient and interceding work of Christ to sustain us. This is great hope for the Christian today who's maybe here a bit weary that pilgrim who is burdened by the law and the commandments of the Bible and doesn't think they can measure up. It's great hope for those who are struggling to fight sin, seem to be a losing battle. It's great hope for us who are angry day in and day out at our circumstances of life, who feel annoyed or bothered by our spouse or children or co-workers, who feel upset or unsatisfied when we look at things around us, who are unhappy with the person we see in the mirror, God's hope and his promise to us is that he will sustain us. And sustaining, in a confirming sense, means that he will bring us through. It doesn't mean that you will continue to suffer and nothing will get better. The promise is, his sustaining and confirming you and his promise is that it will get better. It will get better. So we can be thankful for that promise. We can be thankful that he who is with us and in us is greater than he who is in the world. That he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We can be thankful that he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us and that he will keep us, sustain us till the end. That sustaining, keeping, confirming work is a guiltless work, meaning he will keep us righteous. doesn't mean that he'll make you perfect in this life. It means that his perfection, his righteousness, is the sustaining and keeping work 
that allows you to be grateful for his grace. Guiltless before God. So we can be grateful and thankful for God's purposes. We can be thankful for his provisions and ultimately thankful for his promises. But it still begs the question, why is being thankful so important to you and me as a Christian? I certainly would say I assent to the truth that I'm thankful for these things. I could never attain them my own. But why is thankfulness so important to the life of the church and to you and I as a Christian? We'll consider these three or four things. First, thankfulness generally means that you're satisfied. When you say thank you to somebody who's given you a gift or let you cut in line, you are satisfied in the offering that person has made for you. It means that you have been filled with a sort of gratitude. Now, we may play nice, publicly speaking, but when you really, truly received a gift or a blessing, or someone has truly helped you out in some way, and you express a sincere thanks, you're saying that you have been filled, you've been satisfied with the offering of that individual. Thankfulness means you're satisfied. And only a heart, only a heart of true thankfulness, only a heart filled with gratitude, not one of guilt, not one of reluctance, acceptance, not, not one of sheepish uncertainty, but only one of real, genuine gratitude will delight in God with true affections, will be satisfied in God. Do you see why thankfulness and satisfaction in God is important to the Christian life? If you're not thankful, you must not be satisfied. And if you're not satisfied, are your affections truly rooted in the personal work of Jesus Christ? Are you really there to love and serve and build others. Thankfulness is a sign that you are satisfied and grateful. Gratefulness also encourages us to do better. To do better. Thankfulness is important because thankfulness encourages us to do better. Now, you have to, you have, to have read 1 Corinthians to know this. But if you've had, you understand that they were not a great church. Now, they were saved, most of them, by grace. And they were a church to the glory of God. But they were not really well behaved. They allowed sin to go on unpunished and unaddressed. They did not uh, uh, allow those who needed to be rebuked or disciplined to leave the church. They were suing one another or unbelievers in court. They were misusing, misappropriating the gifts. There were all sorts of things that Paul ultimately reproved them for. But notice he doesn't reprove them here. He affirms them. Now, he doesn't affirm them for the things that they're doing right. He affirms them for what God has done in them. And only thankfulness will encourage them to continue to fight the sin that Paul will then rebuke them for. So that they can then be righteous as God has made them righteous. They can fulfill the work of grace in their lives as God had given them grace in Christ. Thankfulness encourages us to do it. We all know, especially those who have kids know, that a word of affirmation preceding a word of rebuke always yields better results. I don't think Paul is being a, a psychologist here. I think he just knows human nature. He's affirming them and what God has done in their lives before he goes to town on rebuking them. And he does. So we should be rem- reminding each other of God's grace in our lives, affirming one another by taking the Lord's Supper together, by praying with one another, by affirming that which is good we see in each other's lives. And that thankfulness will encourage us to continue fighting sin. That thankfulness allows us and encourages us to do better. When we are affirmed by God's grace and we are moved by thankfulness for that work, and we press on 
even though the road might be difficult. So thankfulness means you're satisfied. Thankfulness encourages you to do better. Third, thankfulness inspires regular prayer. What does Paul do? He gives thanks. He gives thanks always, he says. Now, this doesn't mean that at every moment, in every second, in every instance, he's constantly giving thanks or praying. This is the same thing he means when he says to pray without ceasing. He says that he regularly and often at length prays and gives thanks. He prays for them. He prays and gives thanks to God for the grace that he gave them in Christ Jesus, for the work that the Spirit is doing in enriching them and building them up, for the display of the gospel in the life of this church, for the sin that is to be defeated in the hearts of these believers, these brothers and sisters. He prays for them regularly and often at length. See, thankfulness inspires a regular prayer life. I want to commend to you a book by a guy named D.A. Carson. It's called A Spiritual Reformation, and it's a, it's a summary of the prayers of Paul throughout his epistles. And there is a wonderful treatment of what prayer looks like in response to God's grace, out of thankfulness for what God has done. So thankfulness will inspire regular prayer, but fourth, thankfulness encourages perseverance. Not only does thankfulness fill us up with gratitude and satisfaction, not only does it encourage us to continue to fight sin and inspire us to regular prayer, but it encourages us to persevere. When we are thankful for what God has done, and we see his faithfulness in what God has done, we continue to press on in perseverance. As the gifting of the Holy Spirit in the Corinthian church pointed to Christ, and our Christian lives of holiness and of faithfulness confirms the testimony of Christ. See, God himself is sustaining us, that is confirming us in Christ until the day he returns. That's perseverance. So thankfulness for God's work and thankfulness for God's faithfulness to keep us allows us to continue pressing on. Despite the sin that lay before us, despite the sin that lay in our own hearts, we press on in Christ-likeness because of thankfulness. Well, see, thankfulness is important to the Christian life. This is why I said earlier, if you have a thankless faith, if you, if you do not have a genuine heart of gratitude and a disposition of thankfulness for what God has done, your Christianity, your faith, does not accurately portray that which the gospel here teaches us. Thankfulness must be welled up. Real, genuine, affectionate thankfulness is part and parcel to the work of the Christian life. Well, what's the ground of the purposes and the promises and the provisions and the thankfulness that we can place our hope on? But we said it before, and he says it here in verse 9. It's God's faithfulness above all. God's faithfulness to us. And God's faithfulness to us specifically in Christ. Notice, Paul says that we are enriched in him, that is in Christ. That our gifting of the Holy Spirit and the gifting the Holy Spirit bestows upon us confirms and points to Christ. And as we persevere, trust, and wait, we are waiting on Christ. See, God's faithfulness to us is gospel. God's faithfulness to us is seen, experienced, felt, believed in the work and the person of Jesus. 
the ground of Christian thankfulness, your thankfulness that Paul is encouraging and calling you to, that disposition of gratitude and humility in which we come and we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus together. The ground of Christian thankfulness is the character of God himself who is ever faithful and ever true. So consider your thankfulness, brothers and sisters. Is the ground of your thankfulness. When you give thanks to God, whether it's before a meal or whether it's before a near miss on the highway, are you giving thanks to God for his character of faithfulness to you in Christ? We can be thankful for the momentary provision of health, that he's spared our life, that he's given us this food, that he's allowed us to see the beauty of a moment. We can give thanks for those things. But that thankfulness in those moments must be ultimately rooted in the character of God as a provider, as a father, ever faithful, ever true. What does the hymn say? Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Is your understanding of God's character faithful? Does it, does it lead you to give thanks? Does it deepen your thanks? The foundation of God's faithful character, then, when we see it this way, will shape the way our church functions. It will shape our own character as we behold the faithful character of God. See, a thankful church will be a humble church. A thankful church will be a humble church because we know that God provides the things we need and could not own and possess for ourselves. Our wealth could not buy our true satisfaction, our righteousness cannot buy our salvation. God must provide these things for us. And only in him and in Christ will we ever find real, genuine satisfaction and lasting salvation. That's a humbling truth. It's a humble truth that is built into the fabric and the DNA of the church. So a thankful church is a humble church. A thankful church will be an evangelical church. By that I mean it will be a church that shares the evangel, the gospel, the good news. That thankfulness will overflow, not only into praise, not only into gratitude and into worship, but in proclamation of the faithfulness of God to others. When we go out, we share the gospel, we say, look, look how faithful God has been to me. Consider how faithful God has been to you. Look at the provision of God's grace and faithfulness to you in Christ, His only begotten Son. Come, taking, look, taste, see, know that God is good. Faithfulness leads to thankfulness. And a thankful church is an evangelical church. A thankful church is a growing church. Not simply numerically, but it's a church that is growing. Paul says thankfulness should be enriching. Thankfulness, because of the grace of God, should be building you up. You should be growing yourself up in love, he says in Ephesians 4. Uh, chapter 4, into him who is the head, that is maturity. You should be a growing church if you are genuinely thankful. Why? Because that thankfulness presses you on to know God more. It presses you on in humility and in thankfulness to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And therefore, you will be a growing church if you are a thankful church. Lastly, a thankful church is a gospel church. Meaning, a, a thankful church for the grace of God will be about one thing only. That's the gospel. There's lots of peripheral things we can be about. Lots of ministry, 
lots of service, lots of knowledge and understanding, but we are to be about the gospel. We are to be a gospel church. A thankful church is a gospel church because it is the gospel which provides the means of our salvation. It's the means by which we are able to even give thanks to God and not still be under his wrath. It is the reason for which we can actually give thanks and to be thankful for. It's the gospel. The gospel is the coming of Christ, the Son of God, though he was sinless, suffering and dying a sinful death, taking on the wrath of God reserved for you and I, Dying, being put in a tomb, and raising again on the third day. That's good news for those who are weary. Good news for those who are burdened with the pressure of earning their own righteousness. Burdened with the pressure of having satisfaction in somewhere they can't find it. Burdened with those who are finding themselves lost, alone, without hope. The gospel is an answer to all these things. And therefore, a thankful church will be a gospel church. So church, Christian, what sort of church will you be? Will you be a thankful church? Friend, how might you deepen your thankfulness as a testimony to Christ's work in you? Do you see the work, the the, the gift, the, the Holy Spirit, the thankfulness as it was manifested or to be manifested in the Corinthian life was to lead to a confirmation of the testimony of Christ? It means people who were coming into the church were to see the, the manifestation of thankfulness in the Corinthian church and be like, that's Christ. I want to know him. Is your thankfulness deepened enough to bear witness or testimony to Christ in your workplace? Parents, are you expressing a sincere, heartfelt gratitude and thankfulness that your children will observe and grow up with? And when God saves them, Lord willing, they will see how grateful your heart was for the grace of God in Christ. Spouses, do you model a thankfulness for your husband or wife to follow along in? How might you deepen your thankfulness as a testimony to Christ's work in you? What church will we be? Let me speak to the unbeliever, those who are are, are not a Christian, if you're here this morning. Consider all of the graces of God that he has lavished upon you up until now. Consider that even now he is offering you free grace through the very words I'm preaching to you. That you may see the need of him, run to Christ for the forgiveness of your many sins. So you don't want to go on presuming upon God's grace day after day. Presuming that it will last forever. And that it will be there for you at the day of judgment. Unless you have been saved by grace through faith, the return of Christ will not be a day of rejoicing for you. Because of such grace, a terrible day of judgment is coming for the lifelong rebellion and indifference towards God. So friend, if you are not a believing Christian this morning, you have not placed your faith in the work of God's Son, Jesus, to save you and to forgive you of your sins, you now stand under condemnation. And that the return of Christ, which many of us here waiting eagerly for, will not be a day of rejoicing before you, but will be a day of judgment. But he offers you even now grace. And he offers grace freely, that you may see it. You may grab hold of it. Because in the end, there's only two ways to live. You can live in stubborn defiance of God's glorious grace, offered freely in the person and the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Or, you can live and walk in humble gratitude and thankfulness to God, 
that he would save a sinner like you. Those are the only two ways to live, in stubborn defiance and rebellion against God or in thankfulness and humble gratitude that he would save a sinner like you. For Paul, he reminds the Corinthians that the only way forward in the Christian life, the only way forward in a life that accords with the grace and the gospel that they have received is with thankfulness. So friends, may we attain this thankfulness together, grow in it and deepen in it so that we can, like the Corinthians who are called to, be thankful for God's grace in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. For those of us here this morning that can say that with genuine and, and, and real thankfulness, Father, would you continue to confirm that and deepen it in our lives. There are many seasons and moments even where we do not feel thankful or that we give thanks but not are truly experiencing the affection that grace and thankfulness brings. Would you help us to see that grace leads to thankfulness, that leads to work, that leads to glory? We can be thankful for many things, but God ultimately calls us to be thankful for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And for those who do not know Christ savingly, who have not put their faith in Christ, whether here or who might ever hear these words, come to know Christ as a saving Savior, as a loving God, as the one who has taken on your wrath against all wickedness, unrighteousness, and rebellion on himself so that we might be spared such condemnation. And that would lead us to thankfulness. And when we can say that we've been saved by grace through faith, we continue to be thankful for that could still be us. But you loved us. And for no other reason that we know, but by your grace, you chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before you. So Father, deepen our thankfulness for you. Help us to manifest this thankfulness in the life of our church and in our community for the glory of God and the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.